Have you seen this? The movie that sunk Bobcat Goldthwait's career for 20 years? No, not hot to trot. Welcome to Have You Seen This? The world's only podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten media. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. It's the one <laughs> after that. It is 1991's Shakes the Clown, his writing and directing debut. Ugh, I thought we were talking about Pervy the Clown tonight. I, you know, we could dedicate a whole month to Pervy the Clown just to go episode by episode. That, of course, being... About seven episodes. Yeah, we really could. Spread out since 2016. And it would be like a, a spilling out of all the rage and pain that we have felt <laughs> watching Pervy the Clown. Just a, 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 a catharsis of watching something that is fundamentally not entertaining. But it does sum up the darkness at the heart of clowning, much like the movie we'll be talking about. Yeah, man. What if it was like a clown, but like he wasn't happy? Like, what if he, like, went to the doctor and said that he was unhappy? Please, tell me more. I've never heard this before. Well, I read it Certainly one... not repeatedly on social media. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for sale, clown shoes, they're yours. <laughs> um, hey, six words. But as it turns out, because, and for whatever reason, we're talking about clowns a lot. Lately, mm-hmm. maybe because of the absurdity of the society that we find ourselves in, or maybe just because we're punting because we didn't know what the fuck else to talk about. Who knows? You tell maybe me. Maybe because maybe because we saw another clown movie, we're just like, what is with fucking clowns? And we're trying to get to like you know the ur clown source, right? And but this wasn't it. Yeah, and as it turns out, um, and I mentioned this in the show notes of our episode on the Terrifier series. Mm-hmm. It turns out that scary clowns don't just go back to John Wayne Gacy. And I should have thought about it further. So, you know, mea culpa and all that. But the dark, tormented, freaky clown probably goes back to the origins of clowning. And uh, some of you may have looked at the uh, Smithsonian article that I linked in the show notes for the the Terrifier episode, which is a an article in the Smithsonian about the history of clowning, which made the point yeah, that... He's, he's comedy and he's tragic. <laughs> right. And it made the point that people have been clowning since at least the ancient Egyptians. So who's to say that our... Oh, so like someone who was like wearing a dog's head was just like joking around? <laughs> he was like, I just thought it would be funny. What? <laughs> yeah. And they were like, you shouldn't joke about death, dude. That's not cool. But... um. Yeah. So no crocodile head then. Fine. <laughs> so clowning goes back a very long way. And who's to say that our Neanderthal and Cro-Magnon ancestors didn't act a fool to make their their uh, the other members of their tribe laugh? I mean, mm-hmm. it's a possibility. Be like, come on, guys. It's got to be, it, you know, it's a little silly on some level. <laughs> the whole theology thing. I mean, really? Like, imagine, like, Neanderthal sitting around, they're like, you know, like, yeah, Bob's like a funny guy, but he does a lot of fart jokes. And it's like, yeah, that's funny, but only for, like, about five minutes. Mm-hmm. 
Like I kind of yeah, wish work, he would work get, on some... I kind of wish he would get into something like, you know, a little more sophisticated, like, you know, hitting other people on the head or something. Like that's right. Yeah, like like try some, you know, work on some new like flint napping material. Or, you know, have, have you seen this in the news, folks? Have you seen this? Fire? <laughs> what is the deal with fire? Why, Tim, it's funny that you mentioned stand-up comedy because that also strikes at the heart of the movie that we are talking about today, which I rather liked. I think probably because you set it up as very uneven, it is very uneven. Wh- yes. yes, and you were definitely you were one hundred percent correct because this was Bobcat Goldthwait's first feature as director, and he's directed quite a few movies since then, not just features, also mm-hmm. documentary. But this was the first time he sat in the director's chair, and it kind of shows. Oh, it absolutely shows. Yeah, it's a little bit uneven, as we said. It's, yes, it is. Uh, it is poorly shot and edited amongst other things. Um, It features a host of uh, significant um, comedians you don't remember the names of. (laughs) A lot of them, I want to say, before they had found their voice. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of people that went on, you know, well, from a small small cast, there are a number of people who went on to, to better things who I guess paid their dues by being in this yeah i mean um as well as uh you know working tirelessly on the road as stand-ups because in fact this movie is essentially a satire of the stand-up comedy scene and that was another reason why i found myself enjoying it because i saw it described that way and viewing it through that lens Mm -hmm. there are parts of it which are really fucking funny because if you know any stand-up comedians, you know that they're all insane fuck-ups. Yeah, in that way, sort of the clown has been supplanted by the stand-up. Like, the the miserable, like, jealous alcoholic <laughs> who gets on stage to make you, like, laugh and feel jolly. Yes. So, yeah, in that way, like, that's the thing that, that you know, on our Terrifier episode, that's, like, why are we even talking about clowns? Like, where where are clowns anymore? That's, like... Stand-ups are kind of the clowns now. Yeah, and it, it isn't as though clowns don't exist. In fact, um, I think shortly after we did our Terrifier episode, I think when I was driving... You were attacked by a clown. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I, you know, I haven't unpacked that in therapy yet, Tim, so, you know, okay. maybe... Well, may- maybe you can work it into your stand-up routine. Yes. Uh, so, so I'll stop being such a miserable bitch, like 30% yeah. of the time. Um, I think I was driving back from your place and I was on the um, the interchange of the 101 and the 405 and I was heading on the 101 North and I saw a car headed 101 South that mm-hmm. had um, that was advertising in their back window that they were a party clown with like their phone number. And I think I may have seen that guy. Right. And many of you will remember the uh, Patton Oswalt bit from like the mid 2010s about like the world's worst party clown and the documentary by Andrew Jarecki uh, capturing the Freedmans actually started out as a documentary about a very popular party clown on Long Island but then the filmmaker found that there was like this whole other very big to do with 
that clown's particular family. And that was how he ended up with capturing the Freedmans. But the clown continues to hang on at the fringes of society. To delight and, and amuse, yeah. Yeah, and but in a way, the clown always has been kind of a marginal figure. The person who makes him or herself ridiculous to get a laugh out of other people. <laughs> I'm right here, Jen. I, <laughs> I know you're getting that. <laughs> I, I said appears. One, ah. one of the few social classes lower than clown is podcaster, so... Right, yeah. That. Yeah, I mean at least like a clown you got you kind of got to go to school for. It. You got to at least have some put some work into you it. You got to be a little bit of an extrovert. Yeah, it's like I have a laptop and a microphone. Yeah, and I hide behind them all the time. <laughs> Cuz the outside world is scary. But hey. It is. Yeah, it's full of clowns. <laughs> and that that's the setting that you get with this movie because it takes place in a town called Palookaville, which is not Populated entirely by clowns, but it's like there's a clown presence that has moved in. <laughs> which yeah, sort of. There's like clown kayfabe. Like they never, I mean, with the exception of the opening scene, like clowns are never not in makeup. It is like a twenty four seven lifestyle. Right, but more, uh, but more uh, morally depraved than BDSM. Right, <laughs> yeah, than than wrestling. Um, <laughs> Which, which is kind of a tough thing to, like, get past initially because there, I don't know, it seems like, um, like, you know, Bobcat had a had an interesting premise, and that premise is, let's describe the um, just grinding misery of stand-up you know, lifestyle, but as filtered through the, the lens of clowns. Um, it's basically and, fucked up. Clown gets in trouble. That's the log line. Yeah. Well, it, it he had he had like a, an interesting metaphor. It, there, like there's a seed of an idea in here. The problem is the execution, as is often the case. I mean, I I don't think that I'm I'm gonna have to disagree with Scorsese <laughs> with the Wikipedia article. And uh, <laughs> you are of course referring to Martin Scorsese defending the film to other people. Right. Yes. Yeah. Like there is the there's a seed of a an insightful idea in here that is poorly executed to the point of it. It, you know, it, it it's ultimately like, you know, ideas are cheap because, mm -hmm. yeah, they are. And it's the execution that matters. This movie fails in the execution of uh, conveying that germ of an idea of being like if it were because a lot of the a lot of the movie takes place in this um clown dive bar i f i forget what the name of it is like the jumbo's know, the clown bed. room yo god <laughs> hey, you want to go there later with the uh, with the tough cookies or uh, uh god if there's one thing so, that derby so girls other, love it's jumbo's fucking clown room that that and um preying each on other. younger lesbians well i think you and i said the same thing essentially <laughs> <laughs> uh but i digress the, yeah but uh, yeah, so it, it's a it's a dive bar that kind of only serves clowns. Clowns is a like specific, a distinct cast of society, mm -hmm. and they have their own little clown drama and their clown cliques and their clown gangs, which are all neat ideas. Um, they're they're ones that like if um, you know, say I was also in my twenties, like you know Bobcat at the time, and I was in like a screenwriting class, and I would have pitched that. People would be like, oh, that's very different. That's very 
Yeah, I'm curious to see what you do with that. It's very high, then, high concept. I like it. Yeah, yeah. And then I trip over my dick writing the screenplay. Because that's kind of what it, it feels like. There are a lot of uh, seeds of ideas in this that aren't particularly well executed. And it isn't just the uh, the clown kayfabe of them just being clowns 24-7. Um, it is also like other clown communities, like they have a rivalry with mimes. That shows up again. <laughs> it's funny how they just like, their immediate instinct is just to bash mimes. Yeah, yeah, just a rival gang. Um, but you know, like, um, if, if in a it way, were a like, turf war. but you know, gang warfare in implies, like, you know, it's like the the jets and the sharks, or the bloods and the crips, where the, the, there's kind of like an yeah. equal exchange. Like this is straight up punching down. Right. Okay. Because yeah. the, the mimes yeah, I mean, are I guess... so. Um, it, while the clowns are seedy, the mimes are, you know, kind of cheerful and hapless. Yeah, they're more marginalized. Yeah. Um, until we meet one clown, which, well, or one mime, we'll get to that later. Um, but yeah, (laughs) they're, they're much more, yeah, they're much more, uh, marginalized, but it is interesting too, that it isn't just, you know, the regular, uh, class of birthday clowns, but then later on in the movie there, they introduce rodeo clowns and you're like, oh yeah, that is a separate subculture of clowning. Like, yeah, I, I can see that they do fuck all with it. Other than being like, hey, here's a different kind of clown, and we have our own rules, and we have our own bars that we go to. Well, I think it is funny that um, the, you know, you have, like, the the kind of party clown entertainer mm-hmm. type of clown, and then the rodeo clowns are, like, more like a biker gang, which makes sense if you're the kind of clown who has to distract bulls for a living. Right, yeah. I mean, it's, it's facile. It's... If you just kind of look at it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's very different. And like, well, what else do you have to go with it? Be like, well, nothing. I just want to point out that it's different. I'm like, okay. Jumping off of the different kinds of clown, party clown, mime, rodeo, evil. Right, yeah. Because there is an evil clown in this. Yeah, and it's not one that lives in the sewer. <laughs> no, but he's a real asshole. Yeah, yeah, but like I was saying, this is kind of a showcase of um, up-and-coming uh, comedians who, who hadn't really gotten their break yet, like Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he was on SNL yet. Um, 1991? Yeah, 91. Yeah, good question. It would have been, it would have been around that time anyway. Um, but yeah, Julie Brown in it, is in it. Um, and it's great to see her, her. although, yeah, uh, Kathy Griffin. Yes, Kathy Griffin, several yeah. faces ago. Yeah, unrecognizable. Yeah. Like, you can um, tell it's her, but you're like, wow, she looks different. Yeah, yeah, she looks like a totally different person yeah. than what she looks like now. Um, Florence uh, Henderson in the opening, yeah. in the opener, playing a slut. Yeah. A slutty which, mom. <laughs> yeah, which is a good start that the movie fails to follow through. With because the movie does start off just like just an ignominious, disgusting opening, <laughs> but then it kind of doesn't go anywhere with that. Like, you know, like Bobka had a lot of ideas that he just he put them all in there, not giving any thought to how they fit together or if they supported any any of the other ideas. Hmm. It's just you know this sort of meditation on clowning <laughs> because it does start you know well enough with um. You know him, him throwing up and being woken up by a, a slutty Carol Brady. Yeah, and um, her son's getting, stream getting of pissed piss. on by her kid. Yeah. yeah, it's like that's a pretty good way to be like, hey, this clowning style 
this lifestyle, it, it ain't all glamorous, kid. Why, this guy seems like he is not on top of things. Yeah. But, you know, by the end of it, you can bet your bottom dollar that he will be. <laughs> of, a, so. of a kind, yes. Yeah. Uh, which is also kind of from out of from out of nowhere, but yeah, the um, the standout of uh, un- unknowns at the time is the the evil clown that Jen mentioned. It's played by Tom Kenny. Tom Kenny, SpongeBob. Yeah, this is before SpongeBob. This is before Mr. Show. This is him, you know, uh, pounding the pavement and you know doing the work to like get good enough so that he can be on TV. And you see, like, he still has that same you know Tom Kenny energy. Like, you see a lot of you know the altered state of Druggist yeah, you see a lot of that character. No, 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 God, no, no. <laughs> yeah, just like really over the top, really just uh, on edge. Yeah, um, and because yeah, he plays a murderous clown in this. That's one of the things that I. Um, <laughs> Why do you hate me? <laughs> I I really like the way that the characters are handled in this movie because okay. the way that they map onto the comedy scene because. A common trait that I've noticed among stand-up comedians, and it is along a, sp- a, a spectrum, but they can be surprisingly thin-skinned for like a lot of different reasons. And that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. and Binky—that's Tom Kenny's character—kind of embodies that, where he's quite cruel uh, to other people. And mm-hmm. you know, of course, it's a joke, you know. But when it turns on him, he's just like hair trigger. Like right. screaming in your face, and I was like, "Yeah, that's." Mm. Yeah, how dare you laugh at a clown? Yeah, that's uh, that's a lot like, that's like a lot of comedians, to be honest. Because if you've ever argued with a stand-up comedian on Twitter, like they go okay. from they go from zero to one hundred in like in like no time. Because the moment that they feel the joke has been turned around on them, that mm-hmm. that that's when all the trauma comes to the surface, like all the stuff which made them comedians in the first place. Yeah. Because quite often yes. these are people who laugh to keep from crying. <laughs> oh, oh, nothing worse than a sad clown. Yeah. So so insecure, traumatized, hair trigger, alcoholic. Yeah. Clowns. Yeah, and alcoholism is a bit alcoholism is a huge theme in this movie. Actually pretty well handled in my opinion because it does get at the the inexplicable quality of alcoholism which is like a lot of other um which is like many mental illnesses and that quite often the alcoholic will hurt themselves and the people around them and just keeps fucking doing it and they can't stop and it's just when you get when you get like shakes the clown it's like oh my god this is so fucking depressing dude which almost Uh makes it funnier (laughs) like i think that's where like a lot of the where a lot of the humor of the movie came from for me was the fact that this is a person in incredibly dire circumstances, like someone who really is that close to rock bottom, Mm -hmm. but is still, but not, not able to do anything. Yeah. Still fucking up and just getting into these ridiculous circumstances because, you know, the opening scene of him, like waking up on the floor of a one night stands, bathroom Mm -hmm. yeah it's like wow like your life has not gone the way you thought it would did it 
I mean, not as as compared to what? I mean, we do find out later that I guess he's like an orphan and he sort of was taken in by his boss who then gets killed and he gets blamed for it. Yeah, and I think it's good that they... they um, and I know from what you're saying about the film and, you know, what you said via text, and, like, I do take your point because it's not like this is, like, a tightly constructed plot. No, it, it was in a... Uh, an inventive premise that had to have a plot crafted around it. Right. And to, like, make a, a story. And because of that, a lot of the details are just kind of sketched in, which I think is good because having... Giving Shake some kind of elaborate, tragic backstory mm-hmm. is a little... Would be a little bit too much, like, the kind of thing that we're all sick of today, where it's like, oh, you love these characters? Let's give you a prequel. Like, let's give you a movie about, like, where Darth Vader came from. And it's like, you know, not to evoke Patton Oswalt again. But it's like, I don't care. Right, like, it doesn't yeah. Fucking like, 101 Dalmatians. Like, we need to find out, like, oh, it turns out that Cruel DeVille is just misunderstood. Yeah, like, it doesn't, yeah. it, it doesn't matter if, you know, if Shakes the Clown was a victim of child sexual abuse or something. All you need to know is that he's a clown, he's a fuck up, and he drinks too much. And his friends are worried about him. Right. It's 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 that simple. It is that simple. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's a movie it's, it's almost that, that, I, that threadbare is another word. I, I do, and I agree with you up to a point because it is it is choppy. It does feel like, um, and it, this might be the nature of the film because this isn't the kind of thing that you know anybody was going to spend a ton of money on. It's a first feature. I'm sure they had like a pretty tight shooting schedule. And it and one yeah well it was it was made for one and a half million and made back a tenth of that right and uh, so it's perfect for our show (laughs) (laughs) yeah um and a thing that I believe Roger Ebert said about the movie in his very positive review of the film was that parts of it feel under rehearsed and I agree with that um, because the cast is generally doing pretty good work and some of them knock it out of the Mm -hmm. park but it does have that feel of like okay like we just got to get this in the can and move to the next thing yeah i yeah the way that i look at it is a a lot of the time you have these comedic actors but they just kind of feel like they're it feels like they're just sort of being hung out to dry right where it's like you know tom we aren't gonna we don't have the time or money or wherewithal to support you in the scene we're just gonna let you kind of try and carry this and do your best with it go action yeah and it's it's not as though there aren't um comedians who display incredible depth as actors Mm -hmm. but this is very different from like punch drunk love (laughs) right adam sandler yeah you have a lot like around to oh another adam sandler movie yeah, you have a lot around to like help support and guide that comedic actor, mm-hmm. rather than just being like, "Hey, go for it." You, you just, just just talk, and something you'll say something funny, and then we'll put that in. It's this sort of uh, Judd Apatow uh, school of directing. Yeah. Or put another way, the uh, Robin Williams approach to comedy. Ugh. Because he does appear in this under a pseudonym, which I, you have to give him credit for doing what I can only imagine is a huge favor. Oh yeah, to another young comedian. I'm sure he appeared sh- either for free or for greatly reduced pay because he's even credited as Marty Fromage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's in I think two scenes, but he's just he's just doing his Robin Williams shtick. Like he doesn't really have any kind of like 
character, like there isn't anything that he needs to say or do, but it's just like in this, you are a very energetic mime leading a class. Robin, go. Yeah. And and he and he does his Robin Williams thing. Yeah, and which is what so much of the rest of the movie is about is like. Yeah, and the thing is, like he 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 does okay because honestly, I was bracing myself, and you know maybe we can, if you don't mind, maybe we could take a little bit of a a sidebar into talking about Robin Williams because for many years I had very strong opinions about Robin Williams. Okay. And of course he ha- he left us a few years ago. So yeah. he's not. He's, so you don't want to say anything bad about him, especially given the the situation. Oh, I don't give a fuck. Well, like, what's he gonna do? Like, come beat me up? He's fucking dead. <laughs> and <laughs> he's gonna be like La Llorona. He's gonna show up and get you. Oh God! Like, oh, so you, you will die off stage. So I'll hear an absolute like interminable rapid fire monologue from far off, but it'll mean he's like hiding in my room or something, ready to kill me. Yeah. Yep, Ugh, yep. Christ, I would welcome death at that point. But I, I don't know. I think a Robin Williams themed supernatural killer would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> he just makes you do coke until your heart explodes. Oh my god, it's it's, it's like a it's like a come town bit. Um, <laughs> like oh yeah, we can't have that. People hate those. <laughs> well, you know, I'll 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 leave it to Nick Mullen. But um, Robin Williams, so. Of course, even though he hasn't been active for many years due to being dead. Um, yeah, he hasn't fit in anything. I mean, I'm sure, you know, Disney is trying to exhume his corpse or another Aladdin go oh, around. Yeah. But. yeah, in fact, I think that was a um, that was a contentious thing for him on Aladdin. There was Well, yeah, his, his stipulation was like, you know, you can't use me on the poster and something else. Right. And and then they're like, okay, yeah, sure, Robin, we'll do that, and then you know, pay your your, your lower rate. Then they fucking did it anyway because they're Disney. Yeah. And they're like, I ah, I don't know, like morals, yeah, but money is more important. Yeah, and you know, who's gonna tell the eight hundred pound mouse what to do? But well, I, Robin did, but they just don't. They just went back on their word. Right. Because they're Disney and they're utterly amoral. What do you expect? But yeah, so Ron Williams is still, I think generally liked by people who watch movies because you know a lot of a a lot of people are still familiar with like hook and mrs doubtfire Mm -hmm. and yeah whatever the hell else goodwill hunting even yeah um so he had a lot of very good roles one hour photo um mork and mindy yeah um god uh what's that um oh geez what's that movie where the guy can't sleep well it was a um thriller whodunit i don't know um i don't know but anyway um listeners you've already figured it out you don't need us yeah they're yelling at the they're yelling at their speakers right now (laughs) okay back to my point robin williams generally beloved actor and i always felt at odds with that opinion of him because it wasn't as though he wasn't tremendously talented like that's pretty obvious it's just that you know, in comedic parts, I found him very tiring. And then in serious roles, I found him incredibly maudlin. Fair enough. Insomnia. That's that's what I was going to say. <laughs> Directed by Christopher Nolan. No. Oh. Huh. Wonder what happened to him. Maudlin, yeah. Oh, I'm sure he's fine. But anyway, um, so this, he, like, he was very successful and 
got a lot of plaudits for his dramatic roles, and it wasn't like he wasn't good at it. It was just mm-hmm. like, oh god, like fucking Bicentennial Man. Are you kidding me? Like look at this schlock, you know? Well, yeah, definitely Bicentennial Man. I mean, Patch Adams, I, Jacob the oof. Liar. <laughs> like finally, they they were able to to remake that um, uh, Jerry Lewis movie. They they the clown cried. Oh, uh, Dead Poets Society. Yeah. Ugh. Like it's uh, yeah, and I know I'm a hater, but I'm a lot like Betty Davis in that one scene in All About Eve. I detest cheap sentiment, mm. and that's what a lot of his movies were. Or if you go to the comedic side, you just get incredibly tiring. Robin Williams. I think that the the best example of that is his performance as the King of the Moon in Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Okay. And because that movie is also sort of, and I know there are people who like that movie, but a lot of it is sort of like Terry Gilliam at his most self-indulgent. So you're already kind of tired Oof. by the time that Robin Williams shows up in his cameo that's, or that's whatever. That's a lot to take in, yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, by that time, I'm always like, just shut up. Just shut up! <laughs> shut up! Look, if I just say enough things, eventually you'll find one of them funny. <laughs> exactly. And I get, I, do it. I get that it was a form of comedy that worked for him and I don't, you know, like I don't, I don't hate the guy or anything. It's just a lot of the time his work is not for me. I don't know how you feel about it though. Well, between watching this and some other movies, yeah, it has kind of caused me to like reevaluate like what, what was the appeal of Robin Williams? Because I remember, you know, Aladdin being a big deal where it's pretty much just, you know, be a a stand-up on speed and just say whatever pops into your head. Yeah. But, I mean, that was kind of for little kids. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I understand his desire to have a, you know, different career turn of doing things like Insomnia and One Hour Photo, where it's like, oh, I've been Robin Williams this, I don't know, in Green Clown my entire career. But maybe if I try and do something a little darker, that'll add, you know, depth to my performance. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of casting against type. Um, and, you know, I, I I appreciate that. But... Going back and thinking, like, you know, Mork and Mindy was before my time, so I, and, you know, I didn't watch Aladdin because I'd watch a Disney movie. Um, <laughs> that's for little babies. Yeah, that's for people who, like, sell out corporate crap. Um, you were a teenager so, at the time, though, so. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still feel the same way about Disney. Fair. Um, yeah. Uh, I was right. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, I, I didn't have a lot of overlap with, you know, Robin Williams' career where he, he was like an informative force in my my idea of comedy. I, I knew about stuff he was in, but none of it really resonated with me. So then to see him, you know, doing, you know, doing his bit in this, it's like, what did, what was the appeal of Robin Williams? <laughs> and he's, a, I mean, he's fine in the bit because he's a mime leading a mime class. It's mm-hmm. like an aerobics class, but for mimes. And uh, ah. Shakes is, because he has been uh, framed for murder, he's in disguise as a mime, the thing most hated by clowns. Yeah, no clown would ever be a mime. It's the perfect cover. Right. So um, he's got because a... Because we need to have like a pl- 
plot to this <laughs> he's so, thing. He's got to pretend that he knows what the fuck he's doing because Ron Williams picks him as this like special helper. But as it turns yeah, out... Yeah, because he's new there, so he's made to go up on stage. It's the sort of the, like, I don't know, being singled out in a lecture hall in college cliche. Yeah, when you're fast asleep in the third row. Right, yeah. Don't ask me how I, mean, I know. Yeah, mean, well, meanwhile, the professor just doesn't care. No. They're not being paid they're, they're, to care. They're, yeah, they're teaching out of a book. They're, they've done this thing for years already. They aren't here. Like, it's it's not about you. Right. So the bit is, it's okay. And I did not, I think because I was bracing myself, I did not find Ron Williams as annoying in mm-hmm. this part. I did laugh a few times. But the fact remains that for the most part, Robin Williams is, is not for me. Um, I do... I do like the movie Jumanji, the original. A mo- okay. That movie was better than it had any right to be, in my opinion. Huh. And um, I like his cameo in the Kenneth Branagh film Dead Again. Okay. That's it. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, hey, there, there, there you have it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, like, you know, my only, you know, touchstones for him really would be one hour photo and insomnia. So. Ah, so you were coming to him quite late. Yeah, like, I, you know, I knew him as sort of, like, comedic wallpaper just the guy who talks a lot <laughs> well i suspect that there were other comedians that meant more to you at the time uh well you know i mean really i mean my my sense of humor is probably most shaped by bugs bunny i mean you know that's <laughs> that's also why a, you cross-dress there's a cultural icon yeah that's <laughs> why i live in a hole in the ground bugs money was gender fluid yeah, Bugs Bunny can do whatever he wants. That's, that's the thing. That's exactly It's his right. world, and we're just living in it. He's the trickster. But yeah, that's a whole the, other the archetype. Right now, we're talking about clowns yeah. and clowning. Yeah. Okay, sorry, sorry. Yeah, anyway. And the way clowns so, yeah, just are this... just, like, intrinsically um, sordid and sad. Yeah, just this gross, unpleasant, miserable world that this movie inhabits. <laughs> like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't even have, like, that kind of, like, you know, light... Um, like uh, snobs versus slobs kind of fare that you'd see in like you know contemporary comedies like I don't know like the Caddyshack or Revenge of the Nerds or something Mm -hmm. and it isn't like it isn't a sort of like world of whimsy like you know Pee Wee's Big Adventure right and it isn't and isn't like uh, I don't I wouldn't even know um, what you describe like UHF as well because those are those are movies that, you know, they exist in the world, but, you know, a, a skewed version of of what we're used to. Well, I think if you take um, UHF and Wee, and if you were trying to cram those in the same box, it's kind of like an, an innocent and a hostile world, okay. which is one thing. Yeah. But in in the case of movies like Shakes the Clown, it's, um, you know, us identifying with a true underdog. Okay. Like, you know, we're rooting, um, we root for Pee Wee and Weird Al just because it's like, oh, hey, they're childlike and fun. And then um, mm-hmm. in Shakes the Clown, it's like, God, this guy is just really, like, just at the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> like, and you Right. Feel it would bad. be like, yeah, like, if you try to put Shakes in, like, the UHF world, like, where would he fit? Because some of the gags in this feel like we're trying to be in like a peewee's big adventure like the thing where he's chased by the cops and he has to stop because like ducks are crossing the street (laughs) and he drives like a little clown car 
where it's like this i think this is supposed to be whimsical but like a curdled version of whimsical well it's funny because like um you know all these like all these people came out of like the same milieu like uh, mm-hmm. uh milieu. yeah i'm sure peewee and bobcat like cross paths because that that's the other thing is like groundlings together yeah Yeah. it kind of captures that incestuous world of comedy Mm -hmm. it's like yeah you see you know like all the comedies seem to be by like the same people like improving together at least lately right yeah everybody knows everybody and it also captures kind of like the backbiting quality of that like the clowns um the clowns in the bar their resentment of binky's success because the old host of the clown cartoon show has just been fired, and it's like, oh, who's going to replace him? Like, I hope it shakes, but no, it's Binky, who everyone hates his guts. And it does capture that uh, kind of that backbiting quality of the performing arts. Yeah, and I guess to like put it in real world terms, um, uh, it is uh, Conan getting passed over for um, the Tonight Show in favor of Jay Leno. When Johnny Carson stepped down, yeah, because yeah, I mean, I was a big Conan, you know, stan at the time. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Conan's because yeah, even wa- well, yeah, even watching bits now, like the um, uh, what was it? Uh, just came up on social media is the um, uh, Muppet Faces of Death. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's some great bits in that, and a lot of great comedians that came out of that. I mean, you know, Robert Smiley, their name one. Yeah, I remember when late night TV was funny. Yeah! Wow. Because, like, I mean... Ago. And, you know, and all those people are, you know, you know, envious and miserable, too. That's where all the comedy comes from. Now I'm finding myself wondering, like, how much uh, Jimmy Fallon is like Pinky the Clown in real life. Because... <laughs> you think that he's killed someone? I mean, but that's the feeling <laughs> like, that I I'm have... I'm not ruling it out. That's the feeling I have about people who get to that level of success, because you have to be ruthless to a certain degree... Oh, you're thinking of Tina Fey, well, who has legitimately killed someone. Like, statistically, like, we can assume <laughs> there's at least one skeleton in Tina Fey's closet, right? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, just look at anybody who cut their teeth on SNL. Yeah. Like, famously depraved environment at right. SNL through the years. So, yeah, of course. Um, yeah. But, you know, hey, that's, that, that's comedy. Yeah. Do you think Tina Fey has killed someone and gotten away with it, Jen? Probably. Yeah, okay. Someone you'd never would have heard of, like a roommate in college or something. <laughs> the girl lived down the hall. Yeah, she was annoying anyway. Right, yeah. <laughs> it was a joke. Oh, yeah. God, it's funny. Yeah. Just, oh, God, learn to take a joke. Yeah, God, start breathing again and learn to take a joke. But anyway, back to Shakes the Clown. Yeah, so just the... the dark hateful incestuous world of comedy yes which very neatly maps onto the dark hateful world of clowning as it turns right out. yeah so yeah and that was bob being like i'm gonna make this a little different i used to be about clowns <laughs> <laughs> that's a good bobcat it, well, I, I that's what keeps people coming back my half-assed impersonations <laughs> are you gonna do your dan carlin again i am absolutely <laughs> Gonna do another Dan Carlin voice tonight on Hardcore History, the history <laughs> of clowning. History of clowns. No, one thing about clowns though is that uh, you can read on Audible. <laughs> latest. <laughs> I got nothing. We actually could talk about the history of clowning because uh, I did mention that uh, Smithsonian article, which 
goes into a little bit of depth on just like how far back clowning goes. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of like archetypal clowns yeah. in like the, the 1800s, one of which was uh, Joseph Grimaldi, who was... A Grimaldi warrior. <laughs> who was just incredibly famous in Europe Good. at the time, but also had just a ridiculously tragic, awful life. There was another clown in France who was also very popular, and then he killed a young boy with his walking stick. But I get it. But was acquitted? Hey, you know, it's all part of the act. That's so French. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, look, look at Roman Polanski just going to Venice like it ain't no thing. And um, you know, another clown who died tragically, the the woman who you know put on that um, that whole feminine mystique thing until she uh, died in a hotel room by herself, uh, Marilyn Monroe. That was she was she was one of those glamorous clowns. <laughs> Check out our blonde episode. Yeah, I mean, you know, just like the ridiculousness of like the makeup and the hair. Who was she fooling? That Tim, you know, you laugh, but about? I remember watching. Um, gentlemen prefer blondes uh-huh and just the opening scene with marilyn monroe and jane russell dancing mm-hmm. with you know in full like fully glamorized with their like bright bright red lipstick and it's like this is a drag act <laughs> yeah i mean i know performing femininity is a thing but like this is like next level right yeah and people have been trying to achieve that this you know uh idealized fantasy of a world that never really existed yeah tons of lipstick big pointy cone titties yeah speaking of titties julie Brown. just like clowns right yeah um one of the points in the negative of this like you know we 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 have a friend who well embodies so much of julie brown um but julie brown kind of exists on of a like type of girl and like i said a lot of comics in there in this who went on to to better things hadn't quite found their voice maybe i'm out of line but i i feel like julie brown is just doing madeline khan and blazing saddles right without the uh without the marlena dietrich impersonation but i get what you're right. saying yeah i think that i i think that julie isn't doing her best work in this oh it's that it's that slight lisp Slight? <laughs> that is a you think that <laughs> every R is a W. That's her slight lisp. Tim, she's twying. I guess I I guess so. I mean, she's fine, but it goes back to what I was saying. Uh, she's about, fine in a underwritten part, right? And um, like I said, I agreed with Roger Ebert that a lot of the acting feels slightly under rehearsed. I think that was true of a lot of her scenes. It is mm-hmm. a thankless role because. You know, forget having the girlfriend part. Like in this case, you're the girlfriend of a clown. Yeah, like she well, and she's and he, not a clown herself. She's a very she's a very uh, talented bowler. Not that we see any of it, short of one scene. It is mentioned offhandedly in a very uh, schizophrenically edited first twenty minutes. That um the fir- the first. The first part of the movie is interesting because it's got like this, um, there's this roving camera in it, which appears to come from a completely different movie. And I wonder if that isn't one of the reasons why Scorsese (laughs) defended it, is (laughs) the way that it 
Rome, it, like, oh, it's the mean streets but with clowns. Yeah. yeah. No, no, it's great. Yeah. Like, it you start is. in a room and then you move from character to character. And uh-huh. that's that's fine because it does give the movie a little bit more texture. Like, it, it does give it a more serious feel. Like, the, I guess it kind of ups the pathos to have it shot a little bit like a drama in parts instead of a comedy about a town that is infested with clowns and mimes. Right, but the movie never really makes up its mind about what it is because we have both of those things. It's funny that you say that because, and I don't know if it was just because you, um, and you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not attacking you for your opinion because, of course, your opinion is valid. But the impression you gave me in the movie was that it was just going to be an absolute disaster. I think your word was exhausting. Yeah, and maybe that isn't the right word for it, but so much of it just kind of doesn't really go anywhere and a lot of it is just sort of a dead end before we kind of reach this sort of this rote conclusion right well like it like my takeaway from it is like again going back to that screenwriting analogy like this this does feel like someone's first effort because it is all over the place um it has a a an unusual seed like this something that's like i want to make myself and you know i'm i'm not like I'm telling on myself or anything, but it's like, I want to stand out in the screenwriting class. I'm going to try and do something that's very high concept, that's very different, but then when they say, okay, what actually happens in your movie? And you're like, shit. Um, <laughs> there's a murder mystery, there's a car chase, um, uh, there, uh, there's two uh, cops that snipe at each other. I admit um, I did not get what he was getting at with the cops just very strange bits with the cops yeah it's it's like he had he had a an original idea but he just padded it out with a lot of cliche concepts right and you know i of course like the um you know the partners working mm-hmm. together in a case there's that's a that's a pretty durable thing and there's a lot of directions you've taken and it does feel like there was some improvisation but i didn't those maybe were my least favorite bits in the movie because i was like i don't understand what you're telling me with these characters definitely like they're just they're just cops who like one one's kind of one's kind of happy the other one's kind of a dick and they argue it's like all right yeah and it just comes from out of nowhere it's like the scene should start from like here are two cops and build from there but you know it's it starts like in third gear Right. We're like already they're like at each other's throats and it's like we just got here. What what are these our main characters now? Like And it could it could have a lot to do with um you know if there was some improvising on the set and you have to work with what you got in the can. Mm-hmm. Which I think also contributes to the choppy feel of the movie. I think if you're like a you know a Mike Lee and you've done like months of work with your actors right. before putting one thing on mm-hmm. a frame of film, then yeah. your the environment you have for improvisation is going to be that much more supportive to the actors. Uh, this was probably a little more anarchic, to put it mildly. Yeah, this is... Yeah, all of their character work and all of their rehearsals happened, like, on the same day that they were shooting. Right. And it, it, that comes through. Um and yeah, this is why it's like the movie is filled with a lot of these half-baked um, performances because there's a there's the seed of an idea that didn't really get 
you know, enough of an opportunity to grow. And maybe that's, you know, Bobcat doing his first, you know, writing, writing and directing. Maybe it was the budget. But for whatever the reason is, you know, the, this is what we end up mm-hmm. with, where a lot of it is is good comedians with like a rushed script doing kind of um, hack material. Yeah, and um, I think sometimes sometimes the hackiness is part of the bit, like when um, Shakes gets forced off the road and his car mm-hmm. goes up in flames. And, of course, he turns away from it in the foreground and says, I just made my last payment. Yeah, there's some stuff that I will uh, accept. <laughs> like um, Tom Kenny's character, like he is doing some, some just really hoary material. Yes. But it's the sort of thing where it's like, yeah, this is probably what clowns were doing at the time, or maybe this wasn't really widespread, but it became overused in the intervening, you know, twenty five years since this came out. Yeah, it could be that, or it could be, and it could also be that, um, you know, because Binky, it is implied, is like slightly more successful than most of his clown brethren, who are just kind of drinking away their sorrows in the bar. Like, yeah, which is why everyone hates him. Yeah, and and. I know you'll have experienced it as a creative person. A lot of times mm-hmm. you w- the people you meet who are the most successful in a creative field are not the most talented. In fact, I would argue like a great deal of the time that's true. I can think of one example in particular, <laughs> but I won't say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all, you know we're all thinking of something or someone. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, so so Tom Kenny's got his his bit, and it is funny that he does a little bit of uh, Goodfellas in this, um, because that came out just the year before. So you know he's with his two clown henchmen. He's like, ah, am I a joke to you? You think I'm funny? <laughs> like, ah, I get it. And Scorsese went and saw a screening of this. He's like, ah, he got what I was going for. Good job, Bobcat. <laughs> This is a great movie. This is a wonderful picture. <laughs> you gotta you you gotta give it up for Marty. Always you know supporting the little guy. Supporting the little yeah. clown. Yep. The little clowns of Happy Town. <laughs> the killer clowns from outer space. Do you know of the little clowns of Happy Town? Uh, I'm guessing it was some midget thing. <laughs> Tim, it's they're little person clowns. No, it was a it was a cartoon that a friend of the show Bitter Corella knows quite a bit about, but ah. that's a whole other side thing. Um, okay. If you've heard of the Little Clowns of Happy Town, please write in info at haveyouseen.us or join us on the Discord where you can talk to us about the Little Clowns of Happy Town. And then we can also, we can all sit around with fixed smiles on our faces saying like, why does this person know so much about the Little Clowns of Happy Town? I, you know, and that name is familiar too, yeah. but I can't remember what from. So I guess I have to wait for someone to write in and then tell me. Yes. And I'll be like, oh, I remember now. Well, next episode we'll do a deep dive. No. But uh, oh, but please do, <laughs> please do support us at the five dollar and up level and join us in our Discord. It's a cool place for cool people, uh, not like a sad bar filled with alcoholic clowns. Yeah, everyone there is a failure. You won't have anyone to resent. Yeah, there's there, there's no Tom Kenny type to make you feel bad about yourself. Right. Yeah, but you know he's good at this, despite you know what he has to work with. <laughs> I mean, Julie Brown is kind of one note. Like, she kind of comes and goes. There are times in the movie where, like, you forget. Yeah. Like, it kind of loses track of its own characters. It is. Like, we're focusing on the cops now. Now we're focusing on, you know, him and uh, Judy's relationship. And now we're focusing on Tom Kenny. And... It is a stock girlfriend character. 
Yeah. Very, very yeah. common to first attempts at screenwriting. And uh, many made by well-established screenwriters. Right. Oh, so you think I'm just being too hard on Bobcat? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just being wry about the depiction of women on screen. Well, I don't know. Does anyone really care what women think? I know I don't. Right? <laughs> like, you, you would know better than anyone. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's a 90-minute movie and 30 minutes and nothing's really happened. I think that is, you know, Bob's just kind of, like, wants to seep in the sort of misery of the clown world as kayfabe. Right. And he's kind of got Julie Brown in there somewhere just as, like, only, only exists in reflection to... Um, you know, Shake's failings as a clown and as a boyfriend. Right, because the first third is really, you know, it's all character stuff. No, it's, it's, um, <laughs> it's being generous. Right. Well, I, and I know Tim will disagree with me, but I felt like it worked mm-hmm. quite well. And again, because I had been, my expectation of this movie was like, oh God, here we go. And by the way, it's free on Tubi right now if you want to watch it. And, uh, mm-hmm. I think some of you might enjoy it. I did. Um, Maybe, yeah. Because the pitch Tim gave me was that it was a big mess. So I was bracing myself. Yeah. And then watching it in the frame of mind of this is someone who is writing in a veiled way about the comedy world. Mm-hmm. I found it to be quite truthful. And in spite of its flaws, very funny in parts. Do you, do you not find it to be a big mess? Well, no? I do. I do think it's. I do think it is messy. Um, I think it's uneven. It does feel like a first feature. But when I think of some of the genuine messes that I've seen, some of which were for this show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's not. Uh, it it isn't like a, you know, just like a clockwork crackerjack cracker narrative. It's not um, an astonishingly deep character study yeah but if you take the movie on its own terms it generally works okay but i think Uh, i think that has a lot to do with um the fact that i've seen such a wide spectrum of movies i've seen movies that just fail in every way possible and i don't think that this was a failure in spite of it not really making money and not really gaining much of a following until many many years later i mm. think it's a i think it's a creditable first attempt and i understand what goldthwait was going for even if it isn't like a stone masterpiece right out of the gate i i mean if what he's going for is comics or jealous alcoholics i i mean i think that's kind of clear well that was and that kind of brings me to a thing that i actually wanted to ask you about because we were kind yeah. of joking about the movie over text and um mm-hmm. You know, something about how, like, oh, gee, like, you know, stand-up comedians, a.k.a. clowns, or, you know, severely emotionally disturbed fuck-ups. So yeah. that's new. And I think it's easy to get in the mentality of everything that you see on the screen has to be something absolutely new and different that's just going to blow your mind. Like, it's inventive, and you've never seen anything like this before. Which is fine. I think it's good to not fall, obviously, not to fall back on cliche. Um, when you're writing, don't just regurgitate characters and situations you've seen in other 
movies or TV shows. Like, try to try to write something truthful. But even though the the tragic clown and the comedian who's laughing on the outside, crying on the inside, is very cliched. If there's a certain amount of of spark to it, or brio or creativity, I think it's okay to kind of go over that well-trodden ground. For some people, it might just be too too boring, which is fine. It's like, you know, I just really don't care about... I mean, you know, it's like that... What was that Adam Sandler movie that came out a few years ago, like Funny People or whatever? Okay. Which is like, I'm like, okay, like, I... I don't even care if it's or, good. I'm not gonna. What's that like? I'm not gonna watch a movie like that if you paid me because I don't give a shit about like this the the co- tragic comic lives of stand up comedians. It's like fuck off. This is too. Yeah, or even for like me. the the Tom Hanks Sally Field punchline. Yes, punchline. Or yeah. the way that um, a lot of times movies about the movie industry are just like, oh my god, like who cares? Right. Yeah. Like unless you're already seeped in that, you're like, I don't, I don't care. Like. Why am I interested in this as someone who doesn't already have like a vested interest in it? Like, yeah, you need to like give me a reason to care beyond just like, well, you already know all this stuff, right? Right. And, and so for some people that works and some people it doesn't. Yeah. And but I mean, my my complaint, you know, against your your point, not that it's wrong, though, is that, yeah, you can have uh, you can have a movie that is about a topic that it doesn't have to be like as new and inventive. But it gets back to my initial point, which is once you have this idea, the question is, what do you do with it? And I feel like Shakes doesn't really do a lot with that premise other than be like, yeah, they're they're miserable, you know, drunks and, you know, a bunch of fuck ups. And it's like, OK, uh, what is it building towards? Like what what happens here? It's like, well, then we have kind of a uh, um, a, a damsel in distress. And then we have a um, mustache twirling villain at the end because you know, we need to have some kind of narrative arc in this movie that is otherwise just a meditation on the misery of being a person who, you know, makes other people laugh ha- for a living. Yeah. But is sad on the inside. And like, that's, that's the thing that feels bolted on about this that I'm really not on board with. Oh, I agree because a, um, just kind of like a, a, a non, a non narrative about clowns and clowning. Yeah, it's not and, exactly going to get butts and seats, which is why I think like it's like okay, set up the character in the first third, and then the rest of it we kind of have a wacky plot, and that is that is very like um, uh, screenwriting one hundred and one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if the, if there was more from like the character building in the first third that carried through to the rest of the movie, that would make sense. I think the ironically the way to fix this not that you think it needs fixing but i do would actually be to make it a smaller movie Hmm. if you can find much of this to the drama and interplay at the clown dive bar i think you actually have something Hmm. if you dispense with the plot of binky being a a a murderer and kidnapper Mm -hmm. and just had it being about the um uh, the sort of cultural um, hostilities between within the clown community. God, I can't believe I just said that. Um, within the clown <laughs> For community, clown Americans. Yeah, yeah. With and without um, the like, like vis-a-vis the mime community. People of clowning. 
Right. And as it pertains to the wild card, which is the rodeo clown, and then how they can facilitate sort of extra clowner, um, you know, <laughs> activities that perhaps a birthday clown wouldn't partake in, then I think you have this interplay of, of different sort of uh, lifestyles and resources and strengths and weaknesses that are all playing off each other. That mm. if you focused primarily on those things rather than had a kind of uh, jumped up car chase, uh, then then I think you might you might have a more poignant movie that I think you know the director was initially going for hmm. because I think he was trying to focus more on pathos of these you know sad comics. I don't know. I and, feel that uh, I'm sorry. Uh, finish your point first. No. Yeah. And and no. And, and I think that if he was able to focus more on that and more on the character, then you'd have something. But this being his you know writing and directing debut, he just didn't have the chops for pulling that off well, and that's why it kind of descends into just you know rote action comedy sure and um i i like i said i do agree that it isn't like the strongest script in the world but i think that mm-hmm. it i i think that it actually tonally strikes the right note which is very difficult to do like the moments when it go when it uh falls into like the moments when it because i just found the tone confusing but go on the moments when the tone veers towards absolute tragedy are actually Mm -hmm. i think fairly well handled maybe because it's kind of that horrified laughter of like oh my god this guy's fucked up or like when he's um they're heading to the birthday party and his friends are are like making him go cold turkey, which is a very bad idea with alcoholics, by the way. You hear that? Right, alcoholics yeah. Anonymous? But um, his his <laughs> friends just put him in the car. They're taking him to the birthday party and like, you can't have a drink. You can't have a drink. And he's just like sad and shaky and like vomiting on himself. It's just like, oh, God. You know, like it's really... Yeah, yeah. And, that sounds like someone who knows they're talking about. But. Right. And if I recall correctly, um, Bobcat Goldthwait maintains that he hasn't touched drugs or alcohol since he was 19 mm-hmm. which sounds like someone who had either seen or experienced like very bad things around substance use and that's why I was like not for me thank you yeah it is with it is with good reason that he avoids those things yeah like I wondered if he was maybe a, a recovering alcoholic like so many comedians but that was not actually the case like he decided very early on that it wasn't for him which was you know that smart mm. on his part um, because we have lost a lot of comedians to uh, to substance abuse problems misadventure right yeah. but all of these tragic moments are kind of played tonally for me in a way that doesn't um, I can think of other movies where the seesawing back and forth in tone just has almost made me sick to my stomach. Okay. Where you'll see something, uh, and this is a very weird example, but do you remember that movie that came out in the late 90s when Hugh Grant was the hot thing, uh, Mickey Blue Eyes? Yes. Yeah, like he he gets mistaken for a gangster and blah, blah. Like mm-hmm. the tone of the movie is very light and then there's a horrible beating and murder on screen. It's just like oh. it. It kind of reminds me of the uh, the third act tonal swerve of Edgar Wright movies, right? Where it's like it's 
a a goofy um well uh well shot uh well choreographed comedy and then there's this like bloodshed at the end yeah and it's like ed what are you trying to get at here did you watch all of last night in soho no why would i right well you know does, does that also do the same thing well it's a very disappointing culmination to an intriguing setup because mm. man Tucker, that is a movie that i really wanted to love and i think yeah. he, he he fumbled a little bit because yeah it it it's like oh like this is kind of a phantasmagoria but now it's a jello and it's like yeah whatever okay so he did do it again yeah yeah, I mean, I just remember because it is something that I kind of noticed before. Um, you know, something that you see in uh, Hot Fuzz, where you know, there's just a shootout at the end, and the guy gets impaled on a spike. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> but then more so. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> I I know. Yeah. See, but but even more so, it was what the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you know, granted, I have some other negative uh, memories of that, but it was. Yeah, it is uh, sort of sci-fi invasion, but it's also like rocking space, you know, invasion um, movie that ends with um, like Martin Freeman's character is uh, is turned to mulch. He's killed by the aliens, but they have a like sort of grotesque avatar of him hanging around. And also they said no to the aliens. And so humanity was plunged into a new dark age. And it's like... This is supposed to be just like a fun, like drinking buddy comedy, Ed. What happened? Yeah, it's kind of like that. It, it's like that nothing but trouble thing where I was like, okay, like I see how this was extremely funny to Dan Aykroyd, but everyone else right, is yeah. just like horrified. Yeah, it is. You know, Simon Pegg's character, like in his, uh, you know, vanity or whatever, just like condemns humanity to, I don't know, uh, to to just like the Stone Age. Yeah. Which I could and see. And also, like, Martin Freeman is alive, but he's dead. Right. Like, so you'll get to see the corpse of your friend walking around thinking everything's okay. Much like at the end of uh, um, Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Yeah, Nick Frost, like, you know, I'm, I'm your zombie friend and I'll play NES games with you. Yeah, the ending of that, that movie just... is actually horrifying. Yeah, it is. I don't, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe Edgar just has a different sense of humor than us. Yeah, and I'm... And you know me, I'm not opposed to very, very dark material. Right. Look at some of the stuff that I've laughed at while we're recording. You watch. You laughed at Shakes the Clown, which <laughs> you're pretty sick. I la- I laughed quite a bit during Shakes the Clown. I laughed once, and it is and it is because the joke was organic to the scene, as we had established. Tom Kenny is an insecure, thin-skinned, successful clown who while doing blow with a bunch of uh, rodeo clowns, gets sort of intercepted by their manager, who suddenly it's a huge problem that um, someone in show business does coke. Um, (laughs) And and things get out of hand, and and Binky clubs their manager to death with one of of Shake's um, juggling pins. Yeah. Uh, Paul Dooley, who you'll recognize from... uh... Sixteen candles breaking away. Yeah, yeah, just like the um, uh, like old retired clown, you recognize as the um, 
mechanic from uh, Cool as Ice. That's right. You know, yes. it's pathetic that I like immediately recognize his voice from having seen I... the riff tracks of Cool <laughs> as Ice so many times. I know it's sad, um, but but yeah. So so um, Binky kills their manager and has to cover it up and pins it on Shakes. Um, and and that that is the plot of the movie. That is the sequence of events that make this a story. Um, but uh, he goes and for some reason he's got a thing for Judy, like the Ju- Julie Brown, the girlfriend. And so he goes to well, come on, see Tim, her. You have a thing for Julie Brown. The, that, that's, I have eyes <laughs> and I have hands. <laughs> I want to use them. <laughs> uh, I know where but, you're uh, gonna put them. Yeah, yeah, and I should really keep my mouth shut because we know like three friends who like know Julie Brown personally. I, you know, um, com- probably like it, she's a woman who's worked in the industry for quite a while. Like, imagine what mm-hmm. she has been through. Oh uh, God, yeah. yeah, it's worse. Like, well, it's even like I mean, really, ever since it was our um, delving through the comments on Dina Meyer's website, where I'm like, don't be such a perv, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I I hear you. Yeah, but they are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Check out Bloody um, Birthday. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, mama. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Binky shows up to like put some moves on on Judy because uh, otherwise, how would she end up in distress in peril, later? Yes. Yeah, for for um, Shakes to come save her, which I mean, yeah, typical man. Huh? <laughs> uh, but but anyway, so <laughs> what happens is Binky explains and he tries to again frame um frame shakes for for killing the manager but he just gets a little too into it and he's like and then you know you hit him you hit him and you're like ah, i just can't can't stop hitting him enough until he's dead wait did i say me oh oh back up <laughs> now i gotta kill you yeah and then he mentions like oh and they, and they could have stopped me but they didn't you know referring to his like clown sidekicks it's like oop. yeah yeah but it, but then he does like kind of the, the spongebob voice and he's like whoa back up <laughs> And yeah, just like how how um, matter of fact he's about it. He's like, oh, now I got to kill you too. You know, speaking of guys doing like that guy's voice, like their uh-huh. their voice, like there's a point where Adam Sandler does like an Adam Sandler voice. <laughs> <laughs> like he's doing Adam Sandler I think drag. it's when they're kicking the mime's asses. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's just like, there's like a, just a throwaway line of dialogue that's just like, it's like, ah, yes, there it is. Happy Gilmore and, and such. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds about right. Yeah, I, yeah again, he's, he's finding his instrument. Yes. He's finding out how to be the the, the drag Adam Sandler that everyone wants to see. <laughs> the, the laughing clown to, to hide him crying on his big pile of money mm-hmm. going on vacation to ostensibly film uh, an $80 million movie for Netflix. And boy, it is a big-ass pile of money. <laughs> you know, we should frame him for murder. <laughs> we could do it. Frame him for one of frame him for one of Tina Fey's murders. <laughs> hey, she might even help us. But um Yeah. <laughs> that is the level of spite. It <laughs> runs deep at SNL. Oh, I'm confusing her with a character from uh, Only Murders in the Building, but I digress. Yeah, whatever. Uh, based on actual Tina Fey, I'm Come sure. Come on, comedians play thinly veiled versions of themselves all the time. Right, you know. Yeah. Hmm? Um, yeah. Before I cut you off, is there anything else that you would like to expound upon with this movie? Uh, you know, just uh, 
it, it is a, a a sloppy movie that has a a an original idea, but it falls into just kind of cliche plot beats because you can't just have a, a random premise um, and then j- just have it not really go anywhere. Um, Robin Williams' performance is like a lot of the movie is just sort of it's, it isn't even comedy or banter; it's just sort of yammering. <laughs> Well, it, it's it's a cameo, so if you're not a fan, it's it's tolerable. And I yeah. and I think I'm a pretty good uh, gauge for that mm-hmm. because my tolerance for Robin Williams in general is extremely low. Right. And I managed to sit through the scene with a couple of chuckles, so it it could be way but, worse if you know. Adventures of Baron yeah. Munchausen. Like that is that is They're, intolerable levels of Robin Williams, and he's in only a couple of scenes. Just like toxic. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are, yeah, just, um, really, there's some weird shot choices in this. Like there's when the scene where we're introduced to Julie Brown, it is mostly shot like through the arm of the other character. So it's like, oh, we're meeting the redhead and her friend, Julie Brown. (laughs) Um, there's the whole beginning of the scene, uh, or the whole beginning of the movie starts with shakes and like a dog eating cold pizza and like this you know floozy oh god woman just this movie's this is this movie has one of the strongest starts of any film i've ever seen because the very first shot begins on a dog helping itself to pizza from a box which that is which a strong is great. start yes yeah and like if this like was i'm the already sort laughing of, look at the dog yeah. he's eating pizza and he's not supposed to be eating the pizza but he's eating the pizza yeah if this was the sort of um what uh uh minds of moria action set piece that they used to secure their budget <laughs> i could un- i could understand that yeah but the movie doesn't follow through with that kind of with that level of energy or even that level of comedy mm. um we- we're exposed to a lot of just gross characters sometimes without any real context given and the weird thing like the almost like Lynchian thing is we've got Shakes driving his little clown car to this birthday kid's party to meet Tim Kazarinski, who I'm sure looked very cheap. <laughs> it did it as a favor. Yeah. A lot um, of favors done on this one. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. But there is a slow motion shot of two kids playing in a sprinkler that I think is meant as a sort of um, antidote to the sort of grim life that uh that shakes lives oh right and then there's a um the the soundtrack to that is a knockoff of um uh the percy faith song a summer place the theme to a summer place yeah because i was like oh well i know they couldn't afford the rights to that so they said (laughs) can you write us like a version of that which is supposed to indicate sort of like um idyllic suburbs like slightly yeah. marred by the presence of wandering clowns <laughs> yeah but but the way that it's arranged is like we've seen just like ugly people horrible people horribly ugly people ugly horrible people then two kids and we're like wait are we supposed to hate these two fucking kids too? <laughs> oh these ugly children wait no they're the no, well why did you lead us down this path then yeah i suppose so there's a there's a lot of things like that. Yeah, and there is, um, while certainly the, the the first third of the movie, especially, like, a lot of the, the scenes in the clown bar, I keep going back to Scorsese, but, like, yeah. you know, kind no, of No, like, you made a good point. Like, I can see it now. I can see why you went to bat for yeah, it. Yeah, and it's kind of like, like, yeah, I'm going to get all John Cassavetes on these, like, fucking sad clowns in this shitty bar. 
Um, yeah. With, you know, like the... Never addressing why clowns, like, need makeup when they're not working. Well, it's a... Uh, yeah, I it guess shakes, it's a conceit of the movie. Tim, it yeah. shakes the clown. You should really just relax. Forget it, Tim. It's Palookaville. <laughs> right. But um, I feel that, you know, because Bobcat Goldthwait went on to do more features and was, in, you know, it was reasonable enough as a director that people gave him money to make more. Um, maybe he was a little ambitious with this one and is like, hey, like, let's, hey, let's do something kind of interesting. Like, <laughs> you know, like, uh, we're going to, we're going to move the camera around this bar. Um, yeah. which is understandable. You know, you get a, you get a crack at a feature and you want to, you know, you want to stunt a little bit, but mm -hmm. as I get older as a movie viewer and you begin to understand what a true command of the medium is, Scorsese, or, um, right. the feeling that I had after watching, um, Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Cure, where you're like, wow, this, or, um, not to, not to bring up, uh, a person who is terrifier again <laughs> shut the fuck up not to bring up a person who uh might be kryptonite to the show at this point in time but michael haneke because like him or <laughs> i thought i thought you're gonna say anna biller but oh god don't get me started um but love him or hate him you can't say that michael haneke doesn't command like every single aspect of his productions like He's mm -hmm. precise. No, I believe it. And he knows yeah. exactly what he's doing. And this one, mm -hmm. it's like a first-time director just trying to get something on the screen. And there there are, um, you know, you have, like, canted frames later, which are like, you know, all right, you know, like... Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, I just know, like, I've pulled this kind of shit in my own, like, non-career as a, you know, director. Right. And, um, I, you know, every time I see like canted frames and they're not bad in this film but when i see them deployed kind of unsystematically i just think back to battlefield earth where like every yeah. other shot is a fucking canted frame and it's like why <laughs> yeah yeah unsystematically yeah yeah and that is something where it's like eh, this seems like a good place as any canted frame yeah like you start to wonder if they didn't just like tighten that one knob on the tripod <laughs> right yeah it's like this it's like you did this on purpose like what the <laughs> fuck and and going back to what you're saying about what a summer place yes you know you know what song they were able to afford the rights to i don't know if that was cliche then it certainly is now right but yeah, it is, you know, Bobcat getting ready and, you know, cleaning himself up and getting into his clown thing. But now I'm a man. <laughs> so, yeah. But I, I didn't bother to look up what song that is, but everyone knows what I'm talking about. It's a, yeah, it's a movie which is um, very student filmy, first featurey, yeah. crew doing their best in parts. Whether or not that works for you is up for. Yeah, that's up for you to decide because, like I said... Yeah, see if you like. I <laughs> I enjoyed it. I like Scorsese, and I am like him in many ways. <laughs> I would go to bat for this movie. Um, Tim less so, but hey, free on Tubi right now, so very little commitment. Just put it on and see if you're charmed beyond that first shot of the dog eating pizza. Yeah, yeah, you do have Tom Kenny doing his thing, so kudos to him. Love him. Um, 
Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm just guessing uh, that uh, you know Bobcat's police academy money, you know, must have bought him some kind of cachet to let him keep doing this stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, you do enough movies in a franchise, you get to know people, you get a little bit of scratch. Yeah, because I can definitely see like the resentment that he has about being pigeonholed yes. as the police academy movies guy. And also, um, as we talked about in our Hot Trot episode, Mm -hmm. having interviewers ask him right off the bat, okay, so your first film, Hot to Trot. (laughs) Right. Which could be a mistake that I might make because I love that movie. (laughs) Like, that is a movie that meant a lot to me as a kid. Yeah. um, But I understand why he would feel differently about it because I am very much alone in enjoying that film. Right, yeah, or, you know, it'd be like me me being like, oh, you know, Giancarlo Esposito, I, I thought you were great in Bakersfield PD. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be like, not not Star Wars or Breaking Bad or any of the video games I've done voice work for. Like, no, no, they uh, that, that one season. You know, Tim, it's funny. I think that you actually liked Hot to Trot more than this movie. Or you're yeah. at le- you were at least, like, uh, less frustrated with it. Yeah, I think I'm more tolerant because uh, Hot to Trot, like, set out to be a thing and it was that thing. Like, I can really see, like, all the patchwork on Shakes the Clown. And that that's really, like, my, my big negative. Which is sort it. of funny because I feel that Shakes is much better as, like, holistically than, than hot to try oh. if we're really going to come down to it because it's yeah like yes it's uneven but it is someone's vision like all the way through hot to trot like they had to replace the voice of the main character john candy came in and basically like ad-libbed oh, the hot to trot info dump it ad-libbed until they had something that they could release um, yeah. It's a stupid premise because it's about a guy who gets stock tips from a talking horse. What? I don't. I don't see the problem there. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'll uh, I'll link the episode uh, in the show notes because, like I said, I'm I'm just happy that someone else knows about Hot Trot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, maybe maybe some of you will will respond to it. I know many of you will say like Jen, you're fucking insane. But hey, right, I've heard worse in my time. But um, maybe we can finish up with one of the best lines from Shakes the Clown, which uh, was okay. uttered by the great Lawanda Page as one of the sad barfly clowns, the black queen of comedy. Yes, yeah. I got one of them peanut butter pussies. It's brown, smooth, and easy to spread. <laughs> okay, I will counter that with one of the most workmanlike lines in the script. I, Tim's I will like, fire we are you not so fast. going out strong. Fuck you. Yeah, no. <laughs> I will fire you so fast you'll be out of work immediately. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what that means, yes. That reminds me, Tim, you and I need, uh, we need to have a talk about um, you and the show, but let's do it off mic. At last, release.
Yeah, I'm recording. I've recorded seven hours already. Every time Seems we record, it's like the movie Contact. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully the mic won't pick up the sound of the um, the fan or the alley cats or the uh, uh, barking dogs or the fire engines or the uh, drag racing or the freeway. But apart from that, I think the audio should be pretty clean.